0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. It is good to be with you on this glorious Lord's Day. The clouds have parted temporarily. How many of you remember the public television series, The Civil War. It was groundbreaking. The series that used a very simple technique for telling about that dark time in our nation's history. Using still photographs who represent generals, government officials, soldiers, battle scenes. A decision was made to use personal correspondence, letters that gave first-hand accounts. Do you remember? Voice-over actors would read the correspondence from Grant, Lee, President Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and a score of lesser known individuals, all affected by that time. It had a profound effect on the narrative. It came to life even those still photographs. It put documentaries on the map. It made a star of its creator, Ken Burns, and probably was public television's biggest success to date. What lingers with me these years later are the letters themselves. They were so carefully, so beautifully written. The real emotion and the human pathos were most evident and they seemed deeply ingrained in the listening. The language, the word choice, the cadence, obviously different from our own. There was elegance that was heartbreaking. There was a real etiquette, if you will, to the composition, the phrasing, the manner in which this event was communicated. Got me thinking about etiquette. Now, I'm old, but I'm willing to wager there are one or two of you who might just remember Amy Vanderbilt, America's etiquette expert. Is anyone willing to remember they're old enough to have seen, oh, thank you, to see Amy Vanderbilt? I seem to remember a book, The Complete Guide to Etiquette. If you had any questions on manners, formality, and the like, Amy was there to guide you. Not that my rural Kentucky family cared much about Amy or those sort of rules. We didn't pay a lot of attention to it, but we were aware. Looking at our Gospel, you might get the impression that it's merely a story about etiquette. The etiquette of Jesus' time. It's a tale about seating arrangement. Goodness knows, I've been to enough wedding receptions to know just how important and how difficult those decisions can be. <laughs> but of course, Jesus is talking about, about much more. He's talking about the kingdom value. Humility. We're once again reading from a section of this gospel that concerns his journey, a fateful journey to Jerusalem. And once more Jesus is dealing with a group that, on more than one occasion, takes issue With his teaching. A few chapters earlier, the Pharisees had confronted Jesus about not doing the ritual ablution of washing his hands before eating. Guess what? It caused an argument. Jesus called them unmarked tombs that people walk over without knowing it. And on this particular occasion, he has once more accepted an invitation from a leading Pharisee to share a meal. I believe we are to understand that it was not a generous invitation, a breaking of bread, a time to discuss Torah, our text says they were watching him closely. It's a Sabbath meal, and in a a section of about six verses that we don't read today, Jesus confronts his hosts by curing a man with an affliction who happens to be among their number. In violation of the law of Moses, of course, since it would be considered work on the holy day, and is forbidden. We skip that encounter. We move from verse one to verse seven, but as you might imagine, things are tense. Opposition and controversy are once again on the menu What follows is not merely an affront to the etiquette of the day. It's even called a parable. It's meant to instruct all who hear as to behavior in the messianic kingdom, at the messianic banquet, a time which is upon them. Cushions would have been arranged so that there was an inner and an outer circle. Guests, our Lord notices, are already jockeying for position. He advises, he instructs, that the honor seat is not first-come, first-served but is best-reserved for those invited by the host to recline there. It is ultimately a lesson in humility. A value in and of itself. I don't know what that room must have been like. My guess is there is there are a lot of guests who are looking at their feet or their sandals or the table or one another, but there's also a parable for those who have called them together they too receive a teaching. They're not meant to go on being self-seeking or self-aggrandizing. Instead of inviting those who can help them or their social standing, when they invite others into their home, they are to invite the poor, The crippled, the lame, and the blind. Those with no way to repay or to further their standing. Jesus is perhaps taking a swipe at the teaching of the day. In the community at Qumran, it is said that There's a document saying that individuals who are like those mentioned, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, had no place at the Messianic table, as if they had somehow received God's judgment already. Our first reading adds another layer to our Lord's parable of humility. It's a lesson from Sirach, sometimes known as the book of Ecclesiasticus, the church book. It's from a part of the scriptures which are not universally accepted as canon, called the Apocrypha. When St. Jerome translated these scriptures into Latin in the late 4th or early 5th century, he decided among, uh, when he read the rabbis of the day and, and others, that these several books, 16 or so, were of lesser importance. At the Reformation, they were either excised from scripture or, as in our own tradition, placed in their own special section in the Bible. I have a a copy of the 1611 King James Version, and yes, they are present there. Naturally, the Roman Church, as a part of its counter-reformation, made them a part of the official canon. That's why a catholic bible is larger contains more books than other bibles Sirach was written around 180 BC and as i say it adds another layer a wisdom layer to jesus Teaching. This little section that we have for today is uh, concerning what I like to call the most unoriginal sin in humankind pride. Pride as a root of evil, pride as a blinding effect, pride causes one to forsake the Lord, we hear, withdrawing the heart from its maker. Pride is sin. Pride causes God to intervene to destroy rulers, even to reverse social order. The wise understand that because we share the human condition of birth and life and death, we have little to be puffed up about. We need, despite our accomplishments, humility. Ben Siroc, in his aphoristic way, is, as Shakespeare put it, holding a mirror up. To nature, our nature, God's nature. Humility is the way of wisdom. It is the better way, it is the kingdom virtue. As we are creatures, not creators. This kingdom virtue is perhaps best understood as the narrow door that leads to God. So I invite us this day to prayer. O God, our source and our end, our lives are lived in your sight. Guide us in your way to walk humbly in the freedom of the gospel. We ask this in the name of your Son, who calls us in this mission and guided by your Holy Spirit. God bless you.